Welcome everyone, I'm glad you're here. Today we're going to be in the book of Revelation, which is not your typical Christmas text, but I'll explain it as we go along. Okay, so Revelation 1, um, that's where you want to find your way, find your way to Revelation 1. Um, So today we're starting a series called Jesus All Grown Up, and it's a four-week series around the Christmas theme. And what happens is, a lot of times we focus on baby Jesus And we don't focus on grown-up Jesus or even resurrected Jesus. And so we're going to kind of maybe uh, shift the narrative a little bit uh, the next four weeks. Uh, I graduated from high school several years ago. And I noticed on Facebook um, about six months ago we had a reunion. And I could not believe how old those people are that I went to high school with. In fact, I have a picture. Uh, Let me see. They really look old. I really, really look old. And... And um, I, I sort of resonate with the T-shirt I saw the other day. It, it's weird being the same age as old people. And so I kind of... But when, you, when you're around folks, um, uh, it's funny how people grow up. And so, like if you're not around a kid and then you don't see them for six months and then six months later you see them, they've grown two inches and it's just sort of shocking. Or I remember going off to college and I didn't come home for about six months. I was kind of far away in college and I came home and it was sort of shocking to me that my parents had, had aged in that six months period of time. You know, people grow up. But when it comes to Christmas, it's sort of like we just focus on baby Jesus. And some folks have a hard time uh, toggling from baby Jesus to something else. In fact, I have a video clip of a guy. He had a really difficult time getting Not past ready, baby Jesus. Up. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox. I also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always Mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Your tiny Jesus and your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Ricky, finish the grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! That I have accrued over this past season. 
Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say the Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. <laughs> In the book of Revelation, we see a different Jesus than baby Jesus. And uh, Chip was right. Uh, he did grow up. He had a beard. And so we, what's really interesting about this vision that John has, and I'll explain who, who wrote the book of Revelation, that kind of thing, in just a second. But let's do a little groundwork first. So for, for uh, Jesus to come as a baby... Uh, was a really big deal. You have God who became man. And it's this ultimate act of humility. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, in Philippians, it says, who being in very nature God, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And, and so the whole notion of he humbled himself, uh, the theologians have this word for that. It's called the incarnation. And we talk about that a little bit around Christmas time, that God became man. Now don't get it confused with reincarnation. That's a weird deal. It's kind of a, an odd sort of idea that there's a cycle of life. And so uh, you're born, and then the way you live life, if you're, if you're good, uh, you're kind of recycled into something better. And so let's say you're a good person, you get recycled into something better, like a, a Kentucky basketball player and... and uh, if you're bad, you get recycled into something like a Duke player. You know, that kind of thing. And so uh, it's like that. But th this is incarnation, totally different than that. And this is this idea that God became man. And that's why we sing songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. And, and it's this amazing thing that Jesus did to humble himself. So he, as God, he sort of put aside, his, uh, put aside his privilege of God and became a man. And one of the best illustrations of this I ever heard was, a, was one um, about a guy, he's in the parking structure at a hospital. If you've ever been in one of those, um, when I lived in Dallas, I went to Parkland uh, Hospital several, you know, often when, to visit people. Parkland is where they took JFK when he was shot. And Parkland was this hospital that had... Several editions. I mean, it was it was a nightmare to find yourself around, uh, find your way around that place. And so, this kind of illustration, I think, of Parkland. But in this illustration, a guy is in the parking structure and he doesn't know where to go because it's it's hard. And so he stops a, a fellow uh, car driver. He stops a guy in a car and he says, "Hey, I don't have anywhere uh, know where I'm going. I have no idea. Can you help me find my way?" And the guy in the car says, "Yeah, I'll park right beside you and I'll walk you in. I know exactly where to go." And so in the conversation, uh, the guy who didn't, he's lost, is talking to this other guy, and the other guy just happens to be the CEO of the hospital. And he walks him right in, and as they're walking in, he says, well, that's where I usually park. And well, in the conversation down the parking garage, does the guy become any less CEO? He, he's still CEO. He just puts aside his privilege, his great parking place. He puts aside his privilege to help someone else. And this is what Jesus did when he was incarnate. He put aside being God 
so that he could become man and help us do this for us so he could guide us in the right way. So the incarnation is this amazing thing. And then we get to the uh, book of Hebrews talks a lot about stuff like this. Uh, we have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who, uh, who is, we don't have one who's unable to empathize with us, but rather we have one who's been tempted in every way and he didn't sin and he's just like us except he didn't sin. And so Jesus came for a purpose. And yeah, we think about, all right, there's the, the baby Jesus. We think about that at Christmas. And then we think about Jesus' life. But then there was, there was Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And we're going to see a picture of that. Not everybody recognized Jesus the first time through. I heard this story. I read this true story about Elvis. Y'all remember Elvis? Thank you, thank you very much. Elvis uh, had this favorite restaurant he would go to. It's called, it was called Little Thompson's. Little, L-I-L, Lil, like Lil Reb up the street. Little Thompson's. And he would go there when he was uh, not famous. Thompson would give him food. And so he would go back there, you know, after he became famous and pay and that kind of thing. And so it just so happened that Elvis shows up at Little Thompson's on Elvis impersonation night. And so he's like, he's telling the owner, Thompson, man, I'm going to kill it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up there and I'm going to kill it. And, it, you know, I'm going to win. And, and Thompson was afraid everybody's going to go crazy when they found out it was the real Elvis. And so Elvis got up and he, he, he sang Love Me Tender and he came in third. Uh, so... Uh, yeah. Jesus wasn't recognized the first time, uh, not by everybody at least, first time he came through. But now the second time, now he's going, to be, he's going to be recognized. And we find in the book of Revelation, the author's name is John. In fact, there it is. I, John. And he said, I'm your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom. And most theologians believe that John was very old when he wrote this. Maybe in his 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s most likely in his 80s or 90s. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. They had been together for three years. Uh, uh, John was a disciple. Jesus was the rabbi, the teacher. And you might work with somebody for three years and not know them very well, but think about it like this. Um, if If you've ever been in the military and you were in a platoon around the same guys for three years, you're with them all the time. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365, you're always around them. You're always doing stuff together. That's the sort of relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. They were always together. He was always teaching. They were always learning. They were always around one another. Uh, Interestingly enough, I mean, if you wanted to... To be a follower of a rabbi was a huge, huge deal. I mean, it was like... a it was uncommon and not everybody got to do it. And so if you got to be the disciple of a rabbi, you took it extremely seriously. Mothers wanted for their kids, for their sons, to be the student of a rabbi. I mean, that was like the best thing ever. And so John, he studied Jesus. That's kind of what he did. And they were close, close friends. And Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three that were sort of the inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and this guy, John. And they would do more things together. And they were maybe better friends than others. And John wrote a couple of books in the Bible. The book of John. <laughs> First, second, and third John. He's got, got, it's got like George Foreman. Uh, naming all his kids George. Uh, uh, John, first, second, third John. And then the book of Revelation. And he writes this. And it says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. 
And so John now has had the opportunity to preach and to to share about life with Christ for 50, 60 years. He was a young man when he was a disciple of Jesus. Now he's an old man. And they exiled him, I really think, because they were afraid to execute him, though he probably was on the docket to be executed. They, rather than executing him, they just, he was such an old man, they just sent him to the island. Now, when I think of an island, I think of Hawaii or something really nice. Patmos wasn't like that. It was sort of a, a colony of criminals, and they sent them off. And there we find John, and it says, It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. And so, John, the, the idea I get around this verse is he was kind of by himself. He was, I was worshiping, not we were worshiping in the Spirit. And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And he has this vision of Jesus. Now, we're going to read it. The book of Revelation is sometimes really difficult to understand just because there's so much imagery. And it goes on and on and on with this imagery. And you have red dragons and you have seven-headed this and ten-headed that's. And, and there's, uh, there's no sea and then there's sea and there's just a lot of stuff. And, and you can study it and then there's different interpretations. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'll, I'm going to read this to you. Don't get bogged down in the symbolism. I'll explain it to you, I promise. But what I want you to take going in, what I want us to kind of set the groundwork going in, is that... John and Jesus were really close friends. Uh, John had seen Jesus crucified. Think about this. While Jesus is on the cross, he's on the cross, he's nailed to the cross, he says to John, basically, I need you to take care of my mother. She's right here. Will you take care of my mama for me? That's the kind of relationship they had. So, John knows Jesus. He knows him well. They are the closest of friends. And he has this vision of not baby Jesus, and not Jesus on the cross, but this is the resurrected Christ who's in heaven. And look at what he says. Look at what he writes. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. I'm going to explain it all, I promise. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet, they were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Let's break it down a little bit. Because to understand who Jesus is now is uh, to, uh, it's good for us to know he's not the baby anymore. So he says, when I uh, turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. A lampstand, it's like a, um, a candelabra. Uh, uh, typically it was on a stand, it was mobile. And the idea is that uh, Jesus was standing among his churches. The lampstands represent his churches. Um, 
I told one of my friends earlier this morning, if I was single, I would not decorate for Christmas. I, I like Christmas decorations. I just don't want to do it. Uh, but I have a wife who loves it. And I love that she loves it. And I help her by getting the boxes down and putting them back up. I mean, I'm very helpful. And so yesterday she got in a box and she said, where did this come from? So she had bought something she didn't even know she had. It was really kind of crazy. And it was, a, it was this really cool lampy thing, uh, a candelabra thing, and it had 14 candle slots and we had no candles. But I, I like candles, so I went and bought some candles and we put them in there and they're kind of going. Uh, so we're going to have to you know, make them fit right. But, but the idea is, in this picture, is one of light. And so when we see this, if you have your outline, uh, the Son of Man, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so this is Jesus amongst the seven lampstands. It's basically this picture of Jesus hanging out with his church. And lampstands are portable, and the idea is the, the church is to go out, not just to stay clustered together. And in the book of John, um, he talks a lot about light and darkness. It, it's really interesting. You should do a little study on that sometime. But Jesus said this about himself. He said, uh, he spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And, and John uses this imagery a lot. So let's, I'll give you a couple of examples. In, in John chapter 3, uh, there's a guy named Nicodemus. Remember him? And Nicodemus wanted to, he's a Pharisee, and the Pharisees are kind of important people. And he wanted to meet Jesus, but he didn't want to do it in the daylight. So he goes to Jesus, it says, at night to have a conversation with him. And, and do you remember that uh, Jesus had the Last Supper, and the supper was in the evening, and Everyone was there, all the disciples were there, and there was a disciple named Judas, remember him? And it says Judas, um, he left to betray Jesus, and, he said, and, and John says, and it was dark, or it was night. All these kind of, uh, when you're in the dark, it's, it's, it's tough, and it's black, and it's scary. Mary Magdalene, when Jesus was resurrected, it says on the morning uh, that she, uh, Jesus was resurrected, she went to the tomb, and, it, and, and John says, and it was still dark. See, there's this imagery of darkness and light. And Jesus, when he said, uh, I am the light of the world, and then later he says, you are the light of the world. And so this picture of Jesus walking amongst the lampstands is Jesus is, a, is part of the church. He, he empowers the church. And we find comfort in light. There's something about light that's just comforting. Even when we talk about people who've had near-death experiences, they always talk about, I headed toward the light. Because the light gives us hope and comfort. And that's what the church is to be about. The, golden, the lampstands are golden. They are valuable to Jesus. They are, they are something that He treasures. And the number seven, well, that's the number of completeness. So this is like Jesus hanging out in the church, with the church. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, we talk about this a lot. Jesus said, remember, uh, I'm always with you. And he said, for where two or three are gathered, I'm with you. And so when we get together, like we are today, Jesus is with us through the Spirit. It's a cool thing. Then he goes on, John goes on. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. And I'm not going to lie, this sounds a little bit like a beauty contest, uh, kind of. Uh, 
But the only people that wore long robes and had sashes, that were the high priests or the king. And Jesus just happens to be both. And it's this picture of authority. Jesus has authority. And let me show you, uh, let me show you this verse. The other one, uh, they're both kind of the same. Um, but because Jesus lives forever, His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, He is able once and forever to save completely those who come to God through Him. And this is the part I want you to focus on. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. Man, we all need somebody to intercede for us occasionally in life. If you've ever been looking for work, the one thing you want at the place you, you've made a, um, uh, an application is somebody uh, vouching for you. Let's say you want a job you know, at, at Hobby Lobby and, and you know somebody from Hobby Lobby and you say, hey, can you put a good word in for me? Can you be my advocate? Can you intercede? I'd like you to intercede. Or if you've ever been uh, like, um, to, 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 uh, to courts, you, you hire someone, they're called a lawyer, and they go to intercede for you. They know the law, they, they know the stuff, they know how to make, uh, file the petitions and all that kind of thing. And you need someone to intercede for you. I, I love that it says that Jesus, He lives forever to intercede for us. He's on our side. He takes up for us. I love that. I heard about a guy, he had, uh, he had stolen a watch, and he was on trial for this, and he had a great lawyer. There just wasn't much evidence. And so this, uh, this defense attorney, he kind of pounded the, the guys who were making the prosecution. And, and eventually the, the judge bangs the gavel and he says, Sir, you have been exonerated. And the guy goes, Does that mean I have to get the watch back? Uh, so um, uh, we have someone interceding for us. He's taking up our cause. Uh, I love that. I love that. I think of Jesus as my friend. John, think about John. This is one of his best friends. But we can think about Jesus as our friend as well. And it says his hair, uh, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And this means he's wise. It's the symbol of wisdom. And so uh, the the grayer my hair gets, and it seems to be getting grayer all the time. I've got four daughters. It really should be all white by now. But uh, I've been holding on a little bit. Uh, but uh, not, not everybody that has gray hair is wise, but it's the symbol of wisdom. And then I like this one. And his eyes were like flames of fire. It's as if Jesus has x-ray vision. He is always watching. Now, let's take a deep breath. Because somebody always, if Big Brother is always watching us, that's a little intimidating, Right? Um, have you ever had this experience where you're talking on the phone, let's say you're talking to your mom or something, and you say, you know, uh, I really would like a new weed eater, or something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm in the market for a new washing machine. And then the next time you're on the computer, uh, ads for washing machines come up. You ever had that? Yeah, that's because they're watching you. Uh, uh, that's not good. I mean, it's kind of, it kind of freaks you out. So there's a negative watching, but then there's a positive watching. Now, Every southern child who has a southern mother understands this feeling about being watched. I grew up in a Baptist church. Uh, Mama sat in the choir. The choir loft was here. I sat there. Mama was supposed to be watching the preacher. Because she's right there. Preacher's right here. Does anybody want to venture a guess at who Mom was actually watching? 
Wasn't a preacher. No, no, no. Mama's gaze was that way. Because that's where I was. And uh, uh, I knew that she was watching. I think she sat there intentionally to watch me. My mama could have been a sniper. Because uh, she was watching so when I, uh, my natural inclination is to go, well, uh, then Jesus is watching. That might not be good. But, 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 let me enhance that just a little bit. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him. But not everything I do is bad. Not everything you do is bad. I mean, Mama would watch me from the choir loft, but I wasn't always bad. I was mostly bad, but I wasn't always bad. And I knew she was watching, and her watching made me be maybe not as bad. <laughs> One of my favorite preachers growing up was a guy named Evie Hill. Uh, he uh, is a pastor, a black pastor from uh, California. He passed away recently, but man, if you can ever listen to an Evie Hill sermon, he is just so powerful. And he had a, an expression that I just loved, and he would say, My God, uh, he sits high, but he looks low. I love that. He sits high, but he looks low. He's watching. Now, there's the negative of the watching. That's the mama in the choir loft idea of the watching. But there's another verse I really like. And it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Well, that's a more positive picture of God watching. He knows my struggles. He, he, he understands my pain. The other day, we were at a basketball game and and uh, Elise was playing, and, and um, uh, some punk from the other team knocked her down. I say that in love of Jesus. She was a punk. And uh, uh, flung her. Flung her. And Elise went down, and she hit her head on the floor. And I said, get up. Uh, but uh, 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 she had a ponytail. I mean, you got cushioned. Uh, you, how, could, how, how hard could it hurt? But the idea... Around this verse, when I, when I hear this verse, when I, when I look at this verse, I think, okay, well, this is like a parent at the park. Like, not on the cell phone, but really watching the kid. Because every parent who's ever taken a child to the park has heard the magic words. You know what they are, right? Watch this. Daddy, watch this. Mama, watch me. They don't want you looking at your phone. They want you looking at them. They're going to do something fabulous. They're going to slide down a slide. They're going to swing on a swing. This morning, my little buddy Hudson, who's five, he said, Pastor Jophus, he calls me. Pastor Josephus, Jophus, watch this. I'm like, okay. He went in the room and he did this. Uh, that's all he did. He's like, okay. <laughs> I just pulled something. Uh, I swear. I mean, so when I see this, it's like, oh, this is, this is God watching. This is the parent, the attentive parent watching. I, I like that picture. When, when I read this verse, I think of those old westerns. Remember the westerns and there was the, the wagon and it had the gold in the wagon and there was a guy uh, driving the horses and there was a guy sitting next to him. What's that called? Shotgun. What's a shotgun guy's job? His job is to watch. Make sure there wasn't any trouble coming. 
fend off trouble. I, I, I'll think about that when I think of this verse. When I think of this verse, I think of an air traffic controller making sure planes land and take off uh, without incident. He knows everything. He's watching everything. He has it all under control. When I read this verse, I think about a soldier uh, on a post in front of the fort. And he's keeping watch so that nothing bad out there happens in here. So the, not, the idea that, that Jesus is watching us doesn't have to be negative. I think, in fact, it's quite positive. Because even when I make a mistake, you, you, we all have friends, we all have family, we have people in our lives that have uh, messed up. Our degree of love for them will dictate how much we forgive and how much we can overlook and how much we can help. Well, Jesus, He loves us so much that my errors don't eliminate my friendship with Him. They don't don't cause it to go away. He watches not to catch me doing something wrong, but to support me to help me, to strengthen me. I love the image of that. And then it says, His feet were like polished bronze refined in a fire. He is our judge. Now this is interesting. When you, back in the day, back in Jesus' day, when John wrote this text, if you were summoned to meet the king, the king would be on a throne. It's kind of like this. He would be... Uh, he would be elevated. Remember Isaiah talked about God, he's high and lifted up. He would be elevated. The king would be elevated and you would come in and you would bow low and you would be below his feet. That's the picture here. You'd be below his feet. And and he is going to judge. And there's some negative to judging. It says each person is destined to die once and then comes the judgment. But remember, remember, we have an advocate. We have a a lawyer, a, a barrister. We have someone defending us his name is Jesus he's the best he's the best he'll take care of us see a long time ago I threw myself on the mercy of the court and I said Jesus I need you to forgive me and I need you to guide me and this is what Jesus does for us so this isn't uh, this isn't a picture of intimidation This is a picture of love. And he says, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And remember, John writes this while he's on an island. He understands what mighty ocean waves sound like. He hears them every day. And then this one I like. That's his authority. He speaks with authority. And he held seven stars in his right hand. Seven stars. The right hand was considered the hand of power. So this is a a powerful upholding. He strongly upholds his leaders. The seven stars were the leaders. This basically means you should not mess with me. Uh, So I like that a lot. I like that. Not really. That's really not what it means. What he's saying is, look, he's walking among the churches and he's got the leaders in his hands and, and he is a support for the church. He's a support for his people. And then it says this, a sharp 
two-edged sword came from his mouth. That's talking about his words. His words are powerful. God's word is powerful. And we, as a preacher, I, I talk about it a lot. Uh, reading your Bible is so important. And I'm right now on a reading plan where I'm reading through um, like a psalm and a proverb and, and Old Testament, New Testament. And um, I got through with my reading plan for the year early, and so I've started the next one, which is good, I think. And um, a couple years ago, I figured out I, I'm task-driven and so if my, if my reading plan says you read seven chapters a day, I'll read seven chapters a day. I may not comprehend any of it. And so I decided a, a couple years ago, let's read less but retain more. And so I have to have a little notebook beside me because my mind wanders. I don't know if y'all have noticed that. Like, when, like if there's a siren outside, uh, things distract me. And so when I'm reading my Bible, if I don't have a little notepad beside me, I'll, I'll get distracted. Now, if I have a little notepad beside me, I write down the stuff that's distracting me. So, you know, take the car in for an oil change. That'll come to my mind while I'm reading the Bible. I don't even know that's in the Bible, but evidently I'll read oil. It's like, hey, I need to change the oil. And so, you know, that happens. I'm, I'm hoping it happens, but not just me or this is sort of stupid, but I'll, I'll write that down. I need to do so. This is something I need to do. And then I can focus again. When it talks about the Word of God, look at what it says in Hebrews. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And when we read Scripture, it helps us through the day, through our lives. It gives us focus it's just really helpful. And then he says this, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. It's this, this picture of power. Anyone who's been exposed to the sun for a lengthy period of time understands the power of the sun. If you've ever been sunburned, it is memorable. Every one of these things is a vision of Jesus' strength and authority and power. It's very clear. John, Jesus' maybe his very best friend, sees the resurrected, the grown-up Christ, and he is... I don't know if intimidated is the right word, but he is impressed. You see, we, we like the baby Jesus because the baby Jesus is manageable. Um, that prayer in that video. We sort of like the baby Jesus because the baby Jesus is needy. I heard a, a beautiful story about a, a little boy named Wally Perling. Wally was a second grader, but he really should have been in the fourth grade. He's a little bit slow, and they, they held him back. This was back in the 60s, and they held him back a little bit. And So he was the biggest kid in class by far. He was a big kid anyway, and now he's really big for second graders. And, and while he had this beautiful spirit about him, and he always made sure nobody got picked on. <laughs> so he was like the, the biggest guy, but he, made, he had the biggest heart, and he made sure everybody was, was safe. So if the littler kids got picked on, man, he took up for him. 
Now, Wally, it was back when uh, in school you could still have Christmas programs, and it was Christmas time, and uh, he was excited because they were going to have a Christmas program, and he wanted to be a shepherd because he got to carry a staff. That was his thing, man. He wanted to carry that staff. But his teacher, her name was Mrs. Leonard, she realized that Wally, that was a lot of lines to be a, a shepherd, that Wally might not be able to manage that. And so she talked him into being the innkeeper. Hey, Wally, the, the perfect uh, position for you, the perfect spot for you, uh, we need you to be the innkeeper. Like, it, it's perfect for you. He's like, I'll, I will do it. I'll do it. And he didn't have many lines. His lines were, we're full. There's no room here. That's all he had to say. So the night of the play happens, and Mary and Joseph approach the inn. They knock on the door, and Wally opens the door, and they say, you know, Joseph says, we need a place to stay. And Wally says, we're full. There's no room here. And he closes the door. Now, in this particular play, uh, Joseph knocks again, and he makes a second plea. And he says, we really need a place to stay. And Wally, just second time through, he's like, we're full. There's no room here. He closes the door. Third time through, he knocks on the door. This is the third appeal. He says to the innkeeper, who happens to be Wally, uh, my wife is pregnant. We need a place to stay. And people who were at the play that day say that Wally's eyes began to glisten. Little second grade Wally. He gets it. And he knows his line. And his teacher's off stage, but she's whispering loudly, We're full! (laughs) There's no room! And he knows what he's supposed to say. And he kind of bows his head and he says, we're full. There's no room here. He closes the door. He can't stand it. And Mary and Joseph start to walk off and he opens the door back up. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can stay in my room. (laughs) And everybody who attended the play... They don't remember that the play didn't go as planned. They remember they saw something beautiful. And we like the baby Jesus because he's vulnerable. But in Revelation, we see this vision and and we see Jesus walking amongst his churches and we see that he uh, is wearing this robe which symbolizes authority and power. And we see that he has wisdom and we see that his eyes are... uh, watching and we see that his feet are like a burnished polished bronze and we see that his voice is thunderous and we see that he is powerful to uh, maintain his church and that his words are also powerful and his face shines like the sun and john's response to seeing his best friend in a resurrected state in his glorified state when i saw him john says i fell at his feet as if i were dead isn't that a beautiful picture it's not the picture of a baby jesus picture of a glorified Jesus and the very next line is maybe the best line in Revelation but he laid his right hand on me and he said don't be afraid if it was in the current vernacular it would almost be dude it's okay it's okay 
when I was in college, this is going to shock you, but I had sort of a sharp tongue that often got me in trouble. Now, I had one friend, I had several friends, but I had a particular friend whose name, he was a Canadian named Paul. Paul was a wrestler. Had the cauliflower ears, you know, he, he was... Oh, he was Jack, and and, and uh, uh, for fun he would pick me up and twirl me around. It's when I didn't weigh quite as much, but uh, it was great fun for Paul. And uh, um, Paul was the guy you wanted on your side. Paul one time told me his spiritual gift was revenge. Uh, so uh, that's your guy. That's the guy you want. Now this one particular evening, we had um, gone to the cafeteria, and there were five guys, and somebody had said something to me that wasn't very kind, and I had mouthed off just a bit, maybe. That's a report, you know, I'm not going to contradict it, but I may have said something unkind to these five guys. (laughs) I'm smarter now, but uh, five guys. Well, they bow up, and I mean, they're coming after me, they're coming at me, and my buddy Paul is right here. And Paul stands between me and them. And Paul says, Do you boys have a problem? I love it. I'm back there, you know. Because <laughs> Paul's right there. You boys have a problem? <laughs> and they said, they said, we don't have a problem with you. We got a problem with him. Well, I, I stopped. I stopped the shucking and jiving. But Paul says what I think Jesus says when Satan comes after us. Paul says, well, boys, if you've got a problem with him, you've got a problem with me. And they said, well, we don't have a problem then. We celebrate that Jesus came as a baby. We honor His sacrifice for us on the cross. But today let's recognize that the baby Jesus who made a sacrifice on the cross now sits in authority in heaven And He is our friend. And when Satan approaches the throne of God, and he makes accusations, Jesus steps forward. And He says, if you've got a problem with Him, you've got a problem with Me. That's our Jesus. Father, thank You for this picture of the powerful, wonderful advocate that we have. We're thankful for Jesus and for His love for us. And I pray, God, that we might walk in that knowledge today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.